You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. All right, I'm going to start off with a random little survey here. By raise of hands, how many of y'all in here drive a Ford? Okay. By raise of hands, how many in here drive a Chevy? Okay. So to keep those Chevy hands up, we'll stick with y'all. How many of y'all drive a black Chevy? Okay. How many of y'all drive a white Chevy? How many of y'all drive a, a white Chevy Cobalt? Your lights are on in the parking lot. So if you want to go turn them off, you can. Hey, uh... Y'all give it a hand for our man with the white Chevy Cobalt. Hey, I want to pray for us. We're going to get after it tonight, so let me pray for us. Lord, would you be gracious to us tonight? Lord, would you speak into our hearts? Would you help us through the lens of your word, through, through the guidance and the leadership of your Holy Spirit? And would you show us how to interpret um, what's happening in our culture right now? what's happening in our immediate context tonight. Lord, would you give us, like re- replace the worldly lenses through which we're seeing everything around us take place and, and, and replace those worldly lenses with the lens of your Holy Spirit, um, the lens of your, of your word. Let that be the filter through which we see and hear and interpret and understand everything. Lord, I pray that tonight you would use tonight to to help us to see more clearly how you see. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We don't need a better government. We need the gospel. The government won't create the the change that our country needs. The gospel will. And I just want to say, it, it, it drives me so nuts how so many Christians and how so many pastors get so fired up and get so vocal and super serious about the moral decay of our country during election seasons. It drives me nuts how hard we push people to get out and vote and how much we make people feel guilty for not voting, but how little we push people to get out and engage in God's mission. And how little we hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable to getting out and engaging in God's mission. That's so backwards. The government won't create the kind of change that we need in our country, but the gospel will. And I'm not saying that voting isn't important. In fact, I'm not even saying that voting isn't even part of or potentially part of engaging in God's mission. But I am saying that if we took our culture-shaping, culture-changing calling serious all the time, not just during election seasons, the vote would take care of itself. We do not have the right to get upset That people are voting in favor of issues that stand opposed to God's moral standard if we are not taking seriously our call to change and shape culture with the gospel all the time. I do not understand. In fact, I just ask, why do we act like the world is going to end if people don't vote for the correct candidate? We should act like the world is going to end if we don't quit lollygagging 
and get off our super spiritual butts and take God's mission seriously all the time. We need to stop trying so hard to change America on election day and instead aim to change America in the four years in between election days. There's a lot of voices that get really loud during election season. And one of the loudest is the evangelical voice. And by evangelical voice, what I mean is the Christian voice, or at least the self-professing Christian voice. One of the loudest is the evangelical voice. It's alarming to me how passionate we get about politics, but how passionless we are about God's mission. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen tomorrow in the next four years until the next election. And this is really sad. So many of the evangelical voices, the the Christian voices that have been so loud and so on fire for the sake of politics the past few weeks and the past few months are going to go back home to their comfortable, quiet, suburban homes and sit there for the next four years. They'll be armchair critics of whoever takes office for sure, but they will be completely disobedient towards God's call in their life to engage in his mission. And how hypocritical is that? I mean, if that is you, how, how hypocritical is that? So many people hate Christians because we get the loudest about the wrong things. We need to start being loud about the right things. We need to be loud about the gospel, not just in our words, but in the lives that we live. Not just on our social media, but in our social interactions. How foolish are we to be afraid, so afraid of what might happen if a certain candidate gets elected? How foolish are we to be so filled with hope because of what might happen because a certain president takes office? How foolish are we to be more passionate about preaching politics than we are about preaching the gospel? How foolish are we to be more passionate about changing a person's vote than we are about making disciples? Jesus didn't say, go make Republicans or go make Democrats. Jesus said, go make disciples. The reason our country is in such moral decline is not because of Obama. It's not because of Bush. It's not because of the Clinton before Bush. It's because we've watered down the truth of God's word and created this new unbiblical idea that living a life on mission with God is something, something that only some are called to. I honestly believe that tonight could change America forever. But it's not because of who might be elected. It's because just maybe some of you in this room are foolish enough, crazy enough, to abandon all of your dreams, abandon all of your goals, abandon all of your ambitions, abandon all of the plans that you have made, and give the rest of your life to following Jesus wherever he tells you to go, and give the rest of your life to doing whatever Jesus tells you to do. I honestly believe that tonight could change America forever, not because we're getting a new president, but because I think there's some people in here tonight who are finally going to abandon the false gospel of American dreams, self-centered Christianity, 
and embrace the true gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us to put him at the center of every decision that we make. I want to briefly look at Isaiah 30. I'm not going to preach long tonight, but I hope our time in Isaiah 30 is is powerful and enough. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. It's Isaiah 30. It's pretty much right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Did you get your lights turned off? Okay, good. Hey, catch him up on what he missed. So here's a little bit of context of Isaiah 30. Israel was in a bad situation, and and so they were seeking help. But instead of relying on God, they sent help to Egypt. They sent to Egypt for help. They relied on Egypt. Instead of relying on God, they relied on man. So that's where we pick up in Isaiah 30, verse 1. God, through, through Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet, so what he's saying here is essentially God's words. So God says, Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Look at what he says. He says, Stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine. You know, there's a lot of plans in this room tonight. A lot of you have planned what you want to do when you graduate. A lot of you have planned what you want to do in the next year. A lot of you have got to, you know, a five-year plan, a ten-year plan. A lot of you have planned what you're going to do tonight, what you're going to do tomorrow. But how many of those plans are the Lord's plans? Some of y'all straight up know that the plans that you've made for yourself stand directly opposed to God's will. Some of you say that Jesus is your Lord, another word for master, But you've never even thought about asking him what he wants you to do with the plans of your life. You've never thought about asking him what his plans for your life are. So he says to them, stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine. And he goes on to say, and you make an alliance but not of my spirit. Some of you get pretty charged up when people talk bad about Hillary. Some of you get pretty charged up when people talk bad about Donald. Some of you maybe get charged up when people talk bad about Gary Johnson or whoever else is in the race. But... (laughs) But remember, Jesus doesn't say, go make Republicans or go make Democrats. He says, go make disciples. Let me ask you this. Who or what have you allied yourself with? What are your alliances? Political parties? Even material things? Certain relationships? Certain ambitions or goals or dreams? Have you ever thought to pray and ask God's Spirit to guide you in making these decisions? Hold your place in Isaiah 30 and flip to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says something that's really quite incredible. Verse 10, he says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. Okay, He's about to give his like serious punchline here. But before we read that, let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, look, nobody in this room knows your most deepest inner thoughts except your spirit, your heart within you. And the same is true about God. Nobody knows the deepest, most inward thoughts, desires, 
the heart of God, except the Spirit of God. And so listen to what he says next. Verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Nobody knows the heart of God except the Spirit of God. And by the way, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given the Spirit of God. The point being, that which used to be the greatest mystery to all mankind, what is God's plan? What is God's desire? What is God thinking? What does God want? What is His will? It is no longer a mystery to those who are in Christ because those who are in Christ have been given the Spirit of God which knows the deepest things of God. Which has some serious implications for you and how you should live. Just like Coleman was talking about two or three weeks ago when he taught on Galatians 5. We should aim to walk in the Spirit. Aim to keep in step with the Spirit. We should learn to live by the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's learn to walk in the Spirit. We should be, become desperate to have this intimate communication and relationship with God through the Spirit. Because it is through the Spirit that we can know the heart of God. It is through the Spirit that we can know the mind of God. And Israel was over there making all these plans without even seeking their master's direction. Making these alliances without seeking God's spirits, spirit, spirit, his spiritual direction. When we have such easy access to God's spirit, why do we not take advantage of that? And so Isaiah 30, going back to Isaiah 30, says, Stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. It is a sin not to obey God's call. It's a sin not to engage in God's mission. It's a sin on top of that sin to place your hope in a political party to accomplish God's mission for you. It's a sin on top of that sin to place your hope in a presidential candidate to accomplish God's mission for you. So he says, stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. When he says that, without asking for my direction, do you know what God's implying there? He's implying that you can ask. And not only is he implying that you can ask for God's direction, but he's implying that he wants to tell you. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Let me ask you, when is the last time that you got on your knees and asked God what he wants to do with your life? When is the last time that you got on your knees and asked God what he wants to do with your life? A lot of y'all get on your knees and tell God what you're planning to do with your life, and you ask him to get on board with those plans, but when's the last time you asked God what he wants to do with your life? The Bible says, let Jesus be the Lord of your life, not make yourself Lord of his life. So he goes on and he says, stubborn children who carry out a plan but not mine, and who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the, in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. We are so foolish to put our hope in anything or anyone other than God. Anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ. 
Um, hold your spot in Isaiah 30 and, and flip to Psalm 46. It's a few pages to the left. Listen to Psalm 46. It says, God is our refuge and strength. Now notice, Israel in Isaiah 30 went to Pharaoh in Egypt to seek refuge. But Isaiah 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present, not a very distant, not a semi-present, not a sometimes present, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, We will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, though whoever you didn't want to get elected gets elected. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 6, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. God utters his voice and the earth melts. Now picture that. The nations rage. The nations are at war. The nations are speaking with all kinds of charged up rhetoric. We're going to nuke you. Kingdoms totter. Kingdoms that have maybe helped keep peace in the world totter. America is hanging in the balance, maybe, for those who feel that way. But look at what it says. God utters his voice. Not yells, not brings his whole massive angelic army loaded up with weapons we ain't ever seen before, clips that are bigger than what we even make on planet Earth. No, he utters his voice. Not yells, not screams. He just utters. And what happens? It's not like, you know, this place blows up or, you know, that happened. No, the whole earth just melts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will, not might, not probably, not, I'm pretty sure, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Israel was seeking refuge in the wrong thing. Israel was leaning on the wrong thing. So the question I want to ask you is, Who or what are you leaning on? And and it really doesn't matter when you think about it because some things that you can lean against aren't as strong and sturdy as others. I I want you to kind of grasp this image. Who or what are you leaning on? I'm going to introduce you to a guy. Named Ron. I'm really sorry, but this is the only way to carry Ron. <laughs> um, we don't know where his right arm went. All right, hold on. Sorry, Ron. Okay, well, there goes his 
left arm. I feel bad about this. So this is, uh, this is Ron. We're going to lean him up against this chair because what you lean on matters. Here's the question on the table. What are you leaning on? Where are you seeking refuge? Where are you placing your hope? See, some of you, you've placed your hope in a presidential candidate. But what happens when that person fails you? See, some of you, you're placing your hope in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a relationship that you're in. In fact, I was speaking to uh, a student today, and their, their boyfriend broke up with them, and they're now falling apart. What happens when that person disappoints you? What happens when, when they break up with you, if that's who you're leaning on? Like some of you, you've placed your hope in money. You feel secure because of your financial situation. But what happens when some crazy freak accident takes place? And that financial pillow that you felt so safe with is suddenly gone. What you lean on matters. In fact, hold your place in Isaiah 30 and flip to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, but (laughs) Jesus Christ. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's the point of this text. What Jesus is saying is, it's not a question of, is the storm going to come? The storm's going to come. The trouble's going to be there. That unexpected situation is going to happen. The question is, what are you leaning on? Are you leaning on Jesus Christ? The strong, firm, immovable foundation, the rock. Or are you leaning on something or someone else? When the storm comes, if you're not leaning on Jesus Christ, you know what happens? When that thing you're leaning on falls, you fall with it. What you are leaning on matters. And look at what God says next through Isaiah. Verse 3. Therefore, in other words, because Israel was choosing to lean on something that was not firm, something that was not strong. Therefore, shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, Everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Do you see what words he uses in there? Shame. Humiliation. Again, he says shame, and then disgrace. And and he says, 
Like they've gone to Egypt, they've gone to, even, even though like when they look at Egypt and they see how vast their army is and how powerful their officials look and how far reaching their empire was and how secure and solid and firm it seemed, because they chose to lean on man or something other than God, that choice was going to lead to their shame, their humiliation, their disgrace. Who you're leaning on matters. Where your hope is placed matters. Where you run to for help matters. Israel was looking to the wrong things and the wrong people to save them. This prophecy may not be for us in, American, in America 2016, but the principle that we see in here is we don't need a better government. We need the gospel. Look again, verse, verse 8, skipping a couple verses there. He goes on, now... Now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book. So God's talking to Isaiah now. He's saying, write it on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. This right here shows us, though this prophecy is not specifically for us, the principles are. Because God's telling Isaiah to take this prophecy, write it down so that, he says there, it can be a witness forever. We are part of forever. So today, this, what we're about to read, is a witness for us today. Principles are true, even though this prophecy was for Israel Thousands of years ago. Verse 9. For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Essentially, these people were telling their preachers, don't preach the truth. That hurts. That doesn't feel good. Preach things that make us happy. Preach things that make us laugh. Preach things that make us feel good. Even if they're not true, preach things that make us feel good. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Verse 12, therefore, because the people were rebellious and didn't want to hear the truth of God's word, were much more concerned with their pleasure, with their pursuits. Therefore, verse 12, thus says the Holy One of Israel, God, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall bulging out and about to collapse whose break comes suddenly in an instant and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the hearth or to dip up water out of the cistern. He compares this decision to trust in things other than God as, as a small breach. Imagine like the Hoover Dam, a small breach in a wall. And though it may just start with this tiny, almost unnoticeable drip, what's happening inside of that wall, though it can't be seen, is really a serious issue. Because though it may just look like a drip, suddenly that wall is going to bulge and explode and shatter everything in its path. It goes back to the idea of what are you leaning on? Who are you leaning on? Are you leaning on the rock that is immovable and, and, and firm? Or are you leaning on something else that cannot stand up against the storm that is guaranteed to come? And then you see the last thing there, verse 15. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning, 
Or another word there that, that or another way that Hebrew word is, is translated is repentance. In repentance or returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. In quietness and in trust. In repentance and rest. In returning, repentance, what that means is realizing you're leaning on something other than Jesus and getting up off of that thing and instead in rest, quietness, trust, trusting, leaning on the right thing, on God, on Jesus. So I told you I wasn't going to preach long tonight, so that's, that's essentially it. Um, I, I want to conclude by saying two things. One is this. Think real wisely about how you respond to the election results, both in your heart and on social media. What are you going to be the loudest about? What are you going to be the most passionate about? Which is more important, the fact that your candidate won or the fact that your candidate lost or the, the unity of the body of Christ? Because I know in this room, there's at least three different candidates that have been voted for, if not more, for all you who like wrote in some random name. <laughs> but which is more important, the fact that your candidate won or the fact that your candidate lost or the unity in the body of Christ? But think about this, what you post online, what you say out loud, James 3, the tongue is like a small spark that can start a wildfire has the potential to put up unnecessary barriers between you and the opportunity to share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it. So which is more important? Second thing I want to say is this. It's important to vote once every four years, but it's way more important to engage in God's mission every day, every year, all the time. So regardless of the election outcome tonight, don't waste the next four years. Get out and engage. Again, Jesus didn't say, go make Republicans or go make Democrats. Jesus said, go make disciples. And then the last thing I want to say is, what are you leaning on? What have you placed your hope in? Where are you running to for refuge? Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.